0: Today I have a privilege, the honor of being able to introduce to you uh, somebody that we met. I, I was thinking it's actually been over 25 years. It's been closer to 30 years ago that I met Brother George as he came to minister in Lake Havasu City. And over the years has been able to speak into our lives. I, I'm telling you, Brother George is one of, if not the... Best Bible teacher that I have ever had the privilege of sitting under. And over all these years, I've had many, many people in my life that I've been able to hear. And, uh, and in these days, why, with YouTube and everything else, I, I still would much rather sit and listen to Brother George um, from the pulpit than anybody else because again the teaching is just amazing and today he has a very special message one that i know will bless you i pray that you will open your heart today and you'll open it to receive what he has to say because again i believe this is a message straight out of the word from the lord and it's for your heart and i pray that you'll receive it that way um we're privileged to be able to have george and leela they have uh, been here in the states for a while with covid and everything that's going on in india and travel uh we're privileged to have them here normally they're not here at this time but we're blessed and uh and again we say happy 48th anniversary They're 48 years ago and uh as i told you last week they were traveling through utah and i said man you cannot come through utah and not share from this pulpit and so he is here to bless us taking some time out of their vacation so make a warm welcome for brother george and leela shavanik coming in
1: thank you so much Pastor mark and johnny what a privilege it is for us to come back to new life Thank you for your faithful support for the Lord's work. Uh, We are grateful to you. You have been helping us ever since we met and became friends, ever since you came to new life here. We are very, very grateful to you. And thank you for your sacrificial giving for the Lord's work. We are grateful to you. Unless you stand with us and help us, people like us cannot serve in fields like India and other countries. I know you help missionaries um, across the globe, and we are grateful to you. My name is George, and my wife Leela is with uh, me here. And uh, we are part of Grace International uh, since 1975. We came to the United States as a young couple a long, long time ago. We first lived in Minnesota for a little while, and, uh, but it was too cold. <laughs> So in 1974, we moved to Southern California, and that's when we became part of Grace International. And that's where we met Pastor Mark and Joni. Um, And Grace International has a great missionary program. And I was privileged to serve as the director of international ministries with Grace International for a number of years. I just stepped down from that responsibility last year. We continue to serve the Lord in India in northern India, my wife and I were raised in southern India, where most Christians are in India. If you know much about Indian Christianity, Christians are a very small minority in India. According to the government, we are less than 3%, 2 point something. Most of whom are in southern India, where we were raised. And so we can claim to be southerners. LAUGHTER and then while, while living in Southern California and working in Southern California, the Lord called us to Northern India. So in 1986, we resigned our jobs and went to Northern India, uh, thinking we'll be able to do what little we can do, because Northern India is hostile to the gospel. Um, very difficult place for the gospel. But depending on God's grace, we went and we started a small Bible school. We thought we will train five or ten young people and send them out to preach the gospel because India no longer allows foreign missionaries. I don't know you know that or not. So India can be evangelized only by Indians. So with that hope, we started a Bible school. But God's grace and with help of people like you, churches like yours, the Bible school grew, and it has now become the largest Bible college in northern India. We, we, have, a, we have a little over 3,000 graduates now. 3,000 is not a huge number when you compare to 1.3 billion people. That's the population of India, 1.3 billion. I'll talk a little bit of this in a video that you will get to see at the end. Uh, because it's always good to see something, right? They say a picture is worth a thousand words. thousand words. And I always say, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video must be worth <laughs> a lot more. So uh, so don't let me forget that. In the first service, I almost forgot. Pastor Mark reminded me. So you'll be able to see the Bible College and you'll be able to pray for us. The main purpose for us in coming is to thank you for your support and ask you to pray for us. I think there may be a few copies of our newsletter left in the back. I hope you will take it if there is. We didn't bring enough, I think. Um, Please take it and read it and pray for us. The most important thing you can do is pray for us. And that's my message uh, this morning. Uh, The Lord Jesus taught That obedience is essential for faith. How do we know Noah believed God? Because he Obeyed. obeyed and built the ark when it was almost irrational. Right? You know the Bible. No rain and you're building a ship. How do you know Abraham believed God? Because we know he obeyed. And that's why Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. sacrifice. Jesus taught in John 15, at least five times, John 14 and 15, that obedience is the evidence of loving him. If you love me, obey my commandments, he says in John 14 and chapter 14 and 15, five times. So this morning we are going to talk about the first prayer commandment that the Lord Jesus gave. If I ask you, can you tell me which is the first prayer commandment that the Lord gave? Will you be able to say it quickly? Well, the text is Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38. Now when we read Matthew 9.35, we read these words there. It will be projected up there, 9.35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Which towns? Which villages? Did Jesus live in Utah? <laughs> Where did Jesus live? Well, if you read Matthew 4.23, Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35 are like bookends. Uh, One commentator calls these two scriptures, two bookends. English is not my mother tongue, so I don't pronounce it like y'all pronounce it. (laughs) Y'all is the wrong part of the country, right? (laughs) So please listen carefully. Matthew 423 and 935 are almost similar except a slight little different in variation words so where did jesus live he lived in the middle east in what we today call israel israel right he was an israeli jew did you know he never traveled more than 200 miles in one direction From the place of his birth. Yeah. He never traveled. Except for one journey. His mama and daddy took him. Remember that journey? To Egypt. If you remove that journey from his life. As far as we know. He never traveled more than 200 miles. In one direction from the place of his birth. He traveled within the limited geographical area of what we call Israel. In, And what did he do? The next slide will show you three key words taken from Matthew 9.35 and I'm, I have put in parenthesis the original language which was Koine Greek in which New Testament is written. So If you look carefully at those three words, you will see there are a lot of English words that comes from those three words. First thing he did is, he taught, which is the Greek word, didasko, from which we get our English word, didactic, and the whole family of words that come from there. By the way, Jesus spent far more time teaching and preaching than doing miracles. Healing. Healing is the word from which we get our English word therapy, which all of us know, right? Teach, preach, preach is the word from which we get our English word charismatic, which is more of a theological word, so some of us might not have heard that word. He taught, he spent more time teaching. I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I believe in miracles. By God's grace, we have been able to start literally hundreds of churches in North India since we went in 1936. In 1936, what am I saying? I feel like I went in 1936. 1986. We have seen hundreds of churches started. Almost all of them because of miracles. So I believe in miracles. Don't misunderstand me. We have seen amazing healings, amazing miracles. But my faith is not based on miracles. My faith is based on the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching. Very important. Teaching. Now, the next scripture tells us what motivated him to do it. And I'd like you to look at those two words in. Read, he saw, when he saw the crowds, and I told you where he saw the crowds. This is in synagogues, in the, if we can borrow our term today, in the church. His ministry was confined largely to his own people. He did encounter what we will call Gentiles a few times. And you know the story, so I don't need to describe them. But this scripture is in the context of his ministry in the synagogue. And he saw people as they really were. He sees us. We cannot hide from him. We cannot hide from him. I grew up in the church in southern India, was born and raised in a traditional Christian home, so went to Sunday school, and one of the stories I learned in my childhood, I'll never forget this this story, it's said in the context of our own community, our native place in southern India is called Kerala, you probably never heard about Kerala, because it's not that. Very important. But by the way, it's a very beautiful spot in the world. Billy Graham, in his autobiography, you know Billy Graham, right? You heard of him? (laughs) In his autobiography, his autobiography is called Just As I Am. That's the title of the book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend. Read it. Worth your time. Okay. Read it. In his autobiography, he refers to Kerala, my home state. And I remember Billy Graham coming, the first time to our part of the world. Uh, I was a small boy. My father went to hear him in person. And in in all our villages, we advertised his coming. And I can still see the uh, poster in my memory uh, uh, with his picture in it and and a scripture from the book of Psalms uh, advertising it. He refers to my part of the world, listen to this carefully, as one of the most beautiful places I have seen. He hasn't said that about Utah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my silly jokes. That will help you to stay awake. He sees us. He sees us. We cannot hide from him. And the story that I was going to tell you is about a robber who robbed coconuts. Coconuts. Because my home state, Kerala, means land of coconuts. That's the name of the state, coconuts. And this particular robber, his job was robbing other people's coconuts. He had a little son who went to Sunday school. And in the Sunday school, the teacher taught, God sees us all the time. The little boy remembered that lesson. His father used to take him with him as a lookout. So one day, after, right after he learned the story, the father took him as a lookout. And the father is climbing the coconut. His job is to stand and look and see whether anybody sees him. And tell the father. So he is almost three quarters of the way up. And the son remembers the story. And the son shouts. Daddy, daddy, somebody sees us. (laughs) So he comes jumping, you know, hurriedly down from the coconut tree. And he's running away with the little boy. And he asks, who saw us, son? Who saw us? God sees us, daddy. (laughs) Silly story. But... We must remember that. He sees us. He sees us. And how did he see the people of God within the synagogue? Look at that. Look at that phrase. They were like sheep without shepherd. Do you know that phrase is taken from Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 26. Do you know that is part of a prayer that Moses prayed? Oh Lord, let not your people be like sheep without shepherd. You see, Moses lived 1500 years before Jesus. 1500 years before Jesus. And what did Moses do? He gave the people of God the word of God, the law, the word of God. Moses is the lawgiver. 1500 years later, when the word of God became flesh and walked among his people. How does he see them? sheep without shepherd are you listening to me my dear brothers and sisters you see it is not enough that we have the word of God we must obey the word of God the children of Israel were like sheep without a shepherd in spite of the fact that they had the word of God why Because they did not pay attention to the word of God. How am I today? Am I, like Pastor Mark said, hearing it and letting it out with the other ear? Or am I obedient to the word of God? Am I obeying the Lord's commandment about baptism? Am I obeying the Lord's commandment Of loving my neighbor as myself? Am I obeying the Lord's commandment? Of living a holy life? Obedience is the evidence of faith. Obedience is the evidence of faith. That's why James talks about a faith that does not lead to obedience is dead is dead here look at the reaction of jesus look at that second word in red color a beautiful word compassion see This is the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. The Lord Jesus could have said, when he saw them in this miserable condition, the people of God, he could have said, well, you deserve it. You are in this mess because you have not obeyed. I sent you prophets. In fact, Jesus does say that. He is the one who sent the prophets and I hope you know that. He says it very clearly in the gospel. I am the one who sent the prophets to you. I am the one who gave you the word but you have not obeyed and as a result you are in the mess in which you are. You go to, you fill in whatever you want to fill in. But he doesn't do that. Our Jesus Is full of grace and mercy. Instead he says. The word of God says he has. Compassion. He doesn't condemn. My dear brothers and sisters. The world condemns us. The devil condemns us. But my Lord Jesus does not condemn. He did not come to condemn us. He came to. Save us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for the grace that he has so abundantly showers upon us? If he is going to condemn us, who among us will stand before him? Who among us will stand? Not one among us is good enough to stand before God. He has mercy. So in case the devil... Makes you feel guilty. This morning I want to remind you again. My Lord Jesus does not condemn us. He has compassion on us. Oh, I wish I could preach on that word for a long, long time. Let me teach you the original word for that word, compassion. It is found only 12 times in the New Testament. Don't forget that word. It's a little difficult as my last name. When sometimes when people say my last name, some people think they are speaking in tongues. You know, it's, all, it's complicated. That's why when they projected the slide, did you notice they projected my, the slide? What did they put? C. Just C. The reason is it's so long. This word is a little long word, but it's a powerful word. Can you say that word with me? I from which we get our another English word, spleen. Why? Because the Greeks people believed spleen is the innermost organ of a human. So they built this word on that. Splendid, It's found only 12 times in the New Testament. And did you notice that last sentence? It's found only about Jesus or in his mouth. What do I mean by in his mouth? He uses this word in some of the stories he tells. For example, he uses this word in the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? What did he do? He risked his life. He risked his life to serve a a Jew. I mean, we we'll just read it as if it's not a big deal. Do you know the context? A Samaritan and a Jew? Any idea of the gulf that existed between the two? See, we don't pay attention to the context of the New Testament often. We just Oh, you have no idea the gulf that existed between a Samaritan and a Jew. We get a little glimpse of it in John chapter 4, where Jesus talks to a woman who was a Samaritan. Samaritan. Again, we read it as if it's not a big deal. But did you know what the disciples said? Have you read that story recently? Go home and read John 4. And read that story carefully today and jesus what did jesus ask that woman what did jesus ask her to give to him water and what did that woman say anybody remember you being a jew you're asking me why because a jew will not drink water from a Samaritan's hand. Did you know that? For a Jew, a Samaritan is a, an untouchable. He's a dirty creature. He's a filthy creature. But what did that filthy creature do? He risked his life to help a Jew. Why? Because he had playing my Powerful word. If I had time, I'll take you through those 12 passages and show you the power of it Let me take you to just one to understand it because it's very very important. Our limited time Mark 1 tells us another instance where that word occurs. Here a leper comes to Jesus Pastor Mark tells me, he's talking about lepers to you these days. Oh, man, a leper, who was he? He or she? How many have seen the movie Ben-Hur? We old timers have seen it. Young people should see it. It's amazing. It has a tremendous treatment about leprosy in there, if you remember it. A leper was a social outcast. He had to shout unclean, whenever he walked or she walked in the street, he couldn't wear normal clothes he had to wear, cover all of her body, his body except for the eyes, has to wear torn clothes could not come, some English translations have it wrongly translated and they have inserted the word came near Jesus Uh uh-uh, could not come near Jesus, could not to stay 30 cubits away that was the so distance that was prescribed by the Jewish rabbis. Taken from the Levitical passage, which we have no time to read, go there and read. But look what Jesus does. What did Jesus do? Jesus does that which is unthinkable. He goes near the leper. And? The law of Moses says don't go near a leper, don't touch a leper. Violates the law of Moses. Now how do you suppose he touched this leper? Pastor Mark. How do you. Touching something dirty? Is that how he touched? No. No, no, no. This is what I believe. I believe Jesus hugged him. I believe Jesus hugged him. Jesus violates the law of Moses. Jesus violates the law of Moses. And touches the leper. Hugs the leper. And the moment Jesus touches the leper. What what happens to him? He becomes clean. In his own mind he is unclean. But now he is clean. But do you know what happened to Jesus? According to the law of Moses. According to Leviticus 13. Jesus became unclean. Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? Oh, please listen carefully. This is what the Lord did for you. This is the, what the Lord did for me. He took our uncleanness upon himself. Thank you, Lord. And therefore, Paul puts it theologically in 2 Corinthians. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Oh, my brothers and sisters, please take this seriously. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. This is the essence of the gospel. You and I could never have made ourselves clean, but He took our uncleanness upon Himself and died on the cross for us. He who was perfectly righteous became unrighteous for us. Thank you, Lord. He who knew no sin. Became sin for us. This is what compassion is. This is what splanixomai is. Please never forget what the Lord has done for you and I. Now if you look up the New Testament. And look up all those 12 passages. Either Jesus or the character in the story that he tells. Like the story of Samaritan. Does something like this. Unexpected. Miraculous. Changes the situation. Except Matthew 9. In Matthew 9. Jesus does something. Which. Is totally different. He turns. To his. Disciples. He turns. To. Next slide. I like the old King James. So I have quoted it from King James. Because the King James brings out this translation. The essence of the scripture better than any translation. He turns to his disciples. That's you. That's me. Do you know Jesus as your savior? If you know Jesus as your personal savior, if you have made him your Lord and savior, then you are a disciple. Confidently, you must be able to say, I am a disciple of Jesus. And that's what the word Christian means. Today, the word Christian has lost its meaning. But that's what that word means. A follower of Christ. One who is like Christ, a disciple of Christ, confronted with this reality of a huge harvest. Jesus turns to you and me. The harvest is plenteous, but laborers are few. That is the reality Jesus confirms right in the midst of his own people. He is not talking about Africa. He is not talking about India. Even among his own people, people who had Moses, people who had prophets. If so, then you can imagine what he would have said about the rest of the world. Are you with me? Are you awake? I hope you are awake. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't sleep. It's too early in the morning. Jesus says, the harvest is plenteous, laborers are few. And he turns to his disciples and says, he turns to his disciples and says. And what is the solution? What is the solution? It's a command. This is the first prayer commandment in the New Testament. The Lord had taught his disciples to pray early on. In Matthew's gospel. What we call the Lord's prayer. This message is in that prayer already. Which if we had time I would have shown you. In fact this prayer is in the first three points of that prayer. But most of us concentrate on the fourth point of that prayer. Which is what? The Lord's Prayer, the fourth point. Give us this day. Give me a Mercedes.
2: <laughs>
1: Nothing wrong with Mercedes.
2: <laughs>
1: but the first three points is right here. These two are tied together. Matthew is doing an amazing job in, which, in the way in which he is writing the gospel. So confronted with the reality of a harvest field where there are not enough workers, the Lord turns to you. The Lord turns to me. And he says, pray. It's an imperative. I was an English teacher before I became a preacher. Okay. I don't speak like you all speak, I agree, but I do know English grammar. I do know English grammar. I can teach you a thing or two about English grammar. Oh, how does this foreigner talk like this? Well, because we learn English, you know, I started learning English when I was 10 years old. You know, I started learning M-A-T-MAT, S-A-T-SAT, C-A-T-CAT, you know. It's a beautiful language, but it is at times very illogical. It's very, very very illogical, you know. So, house is singular, plural is? House. House is singular, plural is? Houses, right? Mouse is singular, plural is? Mouses. No? Uh, who made that rule up? <laughs> if that's the case, house is singular, heist should be plural, right? <laughs> right? Huh? Okay. Now, where do you park the car? In the driveway. Where do you drive the car? On the, parkway. on the parkway. Does that make sense? You park the car on driveway. Drive the car on the parkway. It should be the opposite. should be parking the car on the parkway and driving the car on the driveway, right? Are you with me? Beautiful language, but illogical in so many ways. Like any language. Forget it. I'm, I'm trying to keep you awake. Pray, therefore. It's an imperative. It's a commandment. Jesus was not saying, okay, when you have time, pray. But what do we pray most for? Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing wrong in that, because that's also in the prayer, but we forget the first three prayer requests in our daily prayers. What are the first three priorities? It's Him. It's His name. It's His kingdom. It's his will. <clears throat> Am I making sense? Amen. Pray ye therefore. Well, the Lord used this scripture to call us back to North India. This scripture. To North India where we are foreigners. Our culture is different. Our language is different. As soon as they look at us, as soon as we open our mouth, North Indians will know we are South Indians. They call us madrasis. That's what they call us. No time to go into that. God sends us to northern India. That which is our harvest field. Do you know India has 1.3 plus billion people? How many people in America? About 350. Let's round it off to 350 million. Less than one-fourth of India. And did you know that it's, it's home to 4,693 nations? That word nation is used in the Bible in the sense in which nations meant when the Bible was translated into English for the first time in the 13th century. Did you know the Bible was translated into English only in the 13th century? Well, I thought Paul carried King James Bible. (laughs) You know, people have actually told me that. Once I was preaching in a church in Oregon and I quoted from NIV, one gentleman became so upset with me at the end of the service, walked up to me and he told me, if King James was good enough for Paul, can you not quote him from Paul? (laughs) I am sorry. King James is only 400 years old. Paul did not carry King James Bible. When Bible was translated for the first time in the 1200s thir- 13th century, nations did not mean what it means today. What does it mean today, nations? Countries. Nation of Canada, nation of Mexico, nation of India, nation of China. Uh-uh. That's not what the Bible means by it. To know what it means, you just need to look at the original word. That's the word I have given in bracket there. Athena. Athena. From which we get our English word? Ethnic. Ethnic Ethnic group. How many are here? I would say at least a few. Country. One country. But ethnically? You see, God deals with ethnic groups. From the beginning of time, God calls ethnic groups, not countries politically. If I go there, I'll take too much time. I don't go there. When Jesus gave the commandments, go make disciples of all nations. The word is ethnic group. And in India, we have how many? I know for you folks, we all look the same, right? That's okay for... We forgive you because when we came to this country first, guess what? (laughs) Thank you for laughing at my silly jokes. Appreciate that very much. God loves all ethnic groups. Now let me tell you something very, very serious. I know there are some racists in America. I know that. Because racists are everywhere. Everywhere. All countries. All countries have them tell you something seriously if you're a racist please don't go to heaven you won't like it there did you hear me did you hear me if you doubt me open Revelation 5 and read it Revelation 5 oh that's my favorite chapter if I go there I will preach three hours it tells me that my Jesus died to redeem every ethnic group. Amen. Take it and read it. Every ethnic group here loves all humanity. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world. That's why he gave this prayer command as the first prayer command he gives. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the purpose for which he came. That's the purpose for which he died. But unfortunately, in my own country of India alone, if you go to the next slide, look at that. Look at that. Have you heard of Wycliffe Bible Translators? You should read their story. You should read Uncle Cam's story, Cameron Townsend's biography. No time to go into it. You please Google Uncle Cam, C-A-M, Cameron Townsend, and read the story of Wycliffe Bible translators. Of course, comes from John Wycliffe, who first translated English Bible into English. In India, we have Over 90 languages still have no scripture. Did you know that? I grew up in the church. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You see, the purpose for Jesus came is still not fulfilled. And that's the purpose for which he sent us to India. No time to elaborate on it. Let me skip a couple slides and show you a few pictures. uh, Brothers, The Lord sent us to this place at the foothills of the Himalaya mountains. You can vaguely see the foothills in the background. The Himalaya mountains, you heard that, right? I know you guys pronounce it Himalaya. We forgive you because we mispronounce a lot of English words. So you can mispronounce one Indian word. But if you want to pronounce it right, you have to pronounce it Himalaya, long A. Because it has a meaning. Himam is snow. Aleam with a long A is house, house of snow. That's what it means. It's covered by snow 365 days of the year, so they called it house of snow. We are at the foothills. God gave us this land, and with the help of people like you, churches like you, we were able to build a beautiful Bible college. We dedicated it in, like this. When we were small, soon we began to grow. We started with just a few students, and soon we began to grow. And we became the largest Bible college in North India today. We have an amazingly beautiful campus. You see, why? Because a few people prayed. And then God began to do the miracles. We now have over 3,000 graduates who have gone and started churches in, among many unreached nations, ethnic groups. Many unreached ethnic groups. Because that's our goal, reaching the unreached. Don't forget that word, Athna. Indian word is Jati. Athna. Don't forget that word. Every time you read the word nation in the Bible, this is the word. Every time. There is no exception to that rule. Every time. You see the word nation in English. The word is? Athna. Athna. From which we get our word ethnic. Did you know there are ethnic groups in Utah that needs the gospel? Because yes, world is coming here. World is coming here. There are ethnic groups from all across the globe. In your neighborhood. Are you praying for them? Are you doing what you can to reach them? Oh, it's the job of the missionaries. Uh-uh. No, no, no. It's the job of every disciple. Every disciple. I'm not making you feel guilty. That's not my purpose. I'm educating you. Let's together let's do it. Let's together do it. In addition to planting churches, we have a number of schools through which we are serving some of the poorest of the poor and this newsletter will tell you the story. If you're interested, you can take it and read it. Let me close because my time is up. So what can we do Together? We'll go to this slide. We must obey. Matthew 9.38. Every day. Not once a month during mission Sunday. Every day. Because that's why the Lord put it. In the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be. Thy name. Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? That means gospel must reach. Every ethnic group. Only then God's kingdom can come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? His son must be known by every ethnic group. Then comes, give us this day of daily bread. Yes, that is important. But that's not number one priority. That is priority number four. Am I making sense? Amen. Share the gospel boldly. Give generously as you're doing. Thank you. We are grateful to you. And some of you need to say to the Lord, Lord, if you call me, I'll go. Especially some of you younger folks and retired folks. Do you know retired folks have tremendous role they can play in world missions? You're already retired. You're in good health. You don't need anybody's support. Social security will take care of you. Come over to mission field. Instead of spending six months playing golf, cut it down to three months. (laughs) Give three months to the Lord's work. I'm not joking. Wycliffe Bible translators are looking for, actively looking for retired couples. Samaritan's Purse is actively looking for retired couples to serve the Lord. Look up. Some of you, if you have in good health, you must be in fairly reasonably good health. If you're not in good health, you can pray. Spend time on your knee and pray. Well, I took too much time. I hope you won't be angry with Pastor Mark. Let's see this video. Do take, I I hope there is some newsletters left. Please take and pray for us. Thank you for helping us. God bless you. See this video. Hello. My name is George Chavani I am the President of Good News for India Greetings in the name of Jesus Our Lord and Savior India is the second largest country in the world With over 1.3 billion people India is also home To the largest number of unreached people groups India no longer allows foreign missionaries Opposition to the Gospel Is increasing here day by day and Indian Christians are facing persecution like never before in our history. Under these circumstances, the most strategic thing we can do to strengthen the church in India is to train large numbers of Christ-like servant leaders. That is exactly what Good News for India has been doing for more than three decades. Every year, we train scores of men and women who serve as pastors, missionaries, church planters, teachers and leaders of para-church ministries. Good News for India began this strategic ministry of empowering national Christians in 1986. In 1989, we opened the new theological college commonly known as NTC, with just 22 trainees. With the fervent prayers and sacrificial help of God's children, NTC has now become the largest fully accredited interdenominational theological seminary in all of North India. All glory to God. God has blessed us with a beautiful campus, well-qualified committed faculty and staff. We have trained over 3,000 men and women. They are serving the Lord all through the Indian subcontinent and in several other countries of the world. We can train a person with very little money. The cost to train a person for a whole year is only a little over $1,200 this includes tuition room and board and in some cases even books thank you for investing in the training of leaders who will reach thousands in the course of their ministry we not only train people we send them and support them to preach the gospel and start churches where there is none India still has over 90 languages with not even portions of the Bible translated into them. Our goal and prayer is to reach all the people groups and languages in this subcontinent with the gospel. For that, we need to send well-trained laborers and support them. This too takes very little funding, 100 to $200 a month will support a family to go and reach an unreached village. We also provide quality education to hundreds of the so-called untouchable children through a number of Christian primary and secondary schools that we have established. We care for orphans, desperately poor women and children in the name of Jesus. Thank you for standing with us. To train, send, and support laborers in the Lord's vineyard And help the poor and needy in his name Please pray for us and help us Please tell other praying Christians about us May the Lord bless you richly Amen No,
0: I... uh... I find it amazing. Brother George, in first service, you talked about the untouchables in India. And you know that the the number, I was amazed at this, that in India, there is a, a caste group, the untouchables, the lowest of the low. The numbers are around 300 million of them in India. That is almost the same population as the United States. And what brother George and Leela and the ministry there in northern India is doing is they're taking these trained men and women and they are sending them into these villages and they're starting Christian schools in Islamic and Muslim communities and the people are sending because they so desperately want their kids to get out of this untouchable caste system or dedication over their life with education. It's their only hope. And so what they're, they're doing is they're signing and, and allowing their kids to be taught the Bible, the gospel. Even as Hindus and Muslims because they want their children have an education now can you imagine the kind of difference that that makes in a child's life but not just that child but that child that goes home into these families that are filled with a religion that has no power to change or transform and here these little ones come home knowing a Jesus that has the power to transform and change their lives what a what an amazing opportunity and to be able to you know be a part of that for $100 or $200 a month is amazing we can't do that here in the states and i want to ask you to pray about that how you might be able to be a part how god might use you in helping that ministry as a church we have since the beginning we 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 give 10 percent of whatever comes in we we sow into missionaries we will sow into their ministry today but if god's calling you into that place of doing something along those lines the brochure will give you the information that uh, you, you would need, but you also can do that through the church. 100% of what goes uh, to Brother George and Leela or through the church goes to the work in India. It all goes to that. One of the things that they have been since the very beginning is filled with integrity when it comes to that. And there's not many missions works that you can give to where 100% goes to the works of the mission and so it is a blessing to be able to be a part of that because the message today is powerful and i know that brother george brought the message today with a purpose a god-given purpose the question is will we receive that will we receive what god sent his word to do what will you do with the message that you have been confronted with today? Because, I, again, I, I, I spend a lot more time probably than what Brother George has to because I'm not that smart. But I spend a lot of time getting ready and, and, honestly, to spend hours and hours getting ready, to have a message, go in one ear, sit there for a moment, and leave the moment you walk out the door... That's discouraging. But to have people take a message like this, to take the Word of God and to see that it was rightly divided and to say I need to make this part of my life is the greatest compliment that any pastor, preacher, teacher could ever receive. Because what you're watching happen and you have the privilege of being a part of is watching Jesus I love this. Jesus is still, in India right now, Jesus is still touching the untouchables. And he's using the hands of those that are being trained. He's using the hands of those that are providing for those who are doing that work. We still, as disciples, can touch the untouchables. It's amazing. But don't don't think that gives you the opportunity to look past your own backyard, your neighbor, that person across the street, that coworker. You know, again, this is revolutionary. We can do both, amen? So let me just ask you for a moment, bow, bow your heads for just a moment, and just ask you to consider what will you do with this message? us, Holy Spirit, to receive what you have, what you're doing, what you're saying, and give us the boldness to say, yes, Lord. Some of you may be called to to go. Some of you are being called to fund. Some of you are, all of you are being called to pray. king of all kings there is no one above you there is no name like the name of Jesus Christ our God we lift you up and thank you Jesus for what you've done we thank you for speaking in our lives we thank you for loving us enough Lord to share in the work that you have uh, committed to unto this world and we thank you for that today Lord and I pray that you would bless encourage and pour your spirit out fresh and new Lord to anoint us to appoint us and to fill us and to fire us up for the work that's before us Lord let us not sit back any longer but let us rise up and declare, thus saith the Lord over my life. Thus saith the Lord over my future. Thus saith the Lord over my will. God, we ask that you would use this time to transform and change us and the body of Christ, to transform and change us individually, but also, Lord, corporately, that we could look, Lord, more like you. Lord, I want to be more like you today than I was yesterday. And I thank you, Lord, that tomorrow is another day. Another day Lord where your mercies are being renewed and we thank you. I pray God that you bless and encourage the body of Christ. That Lord it's not, it's not about what we do in here. It's about Lord how we apply what we do in here out there. Help us Lord to go to be the church. In Jesus name. Amen. Come on, amen. So you have to deal with what it is that God has spoken to your heart today. Amen. When you leave, church is not over. Church is about to begin. I want you to go out there and go be the church. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a blessed and wonderful day. Don't forget, get plugged into a life group. Go back there and grab one of those newsletters. And come on, let's sing this as we go today, church.
2: i yeah.